Okay, trying again. Welcome everyone to Ask a Monk, where I answer questions, answering questions from our website. So if you're interested in asking a question, you can go visit our website. The link should be in the comments. If it's a question about meditation, it'll probably get answered. If it's a question about Buddhism, it might get answered. No promises. So today's question is about the relationship between mindfulness and noting, which is the sort of question I get often. This one is a bit different. The question is um, sort of on the general topic of the relationship between the noting and the object. Right? So it, it, it relates to issues of what does it mean to note something? And what what is the thing that you're noting? And the difference between noting and being mindful, if there is any, or the relationship between them, right? So, um, first, just a little bit about mindfulness. Uh, the word mindfulness is a translation of the word sati. Uh, it's not a perfect translation. And so, it's important a little bit important that we understand the word sati, the word that we all use to mean this state of mind, uh, the state of mind that has clarity and rightly grasps the object, or grasps the object in such a way that it can be seen clearly, right? Because mindfulness is what leads us to see clearly. Mindfulness is the grasping, or sati is the grasping of the object. That's how it. That's how it looks. So, sati uh, is used in in uh, colloquial terms or in a, in a conventional sense to refer to being able when you when you're able to remember things that happened a long time ago. And this concept of memory, I think, is why the Buddha chose it. Because in, in meditation, it means to remember the present moment, right? It's this sort of general uh, meditative characteristic that, 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 that we use when we're talking about mindfulness, when we're talking about meditation in general. That means you're not distracted. It means that you're not dwelling in abstraction. This concept of abstraction, I think, is very important, and it becomes important when we um, when we talk about the difference between mindfulness and noting, as as it's called. Uh, so often our minds are stuck in abstraction, which means all of you who are commenting right now, uh, you're 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 having to type, so you're having to come up with conceptual thought. Conceptual thought is not evil, it's not bad, but it's not mindful. You find it's very hard to type a question when you're trying to be mindful uh, at the same time, when you're, when you're present, right? 
because at least in the beginning, being present means uh, you can, you're only able to be aware of the fingers moving. Uh, and so you lose the abstract thought. It's hard to maintain uh, sort of a, a stream of conceptual thought when you're, when you're mindful. It's, so it's two different sort of ideas. Right? The idea is that when we dwell on abstract thought, we've forgotten about reality. I mean, a simple one would be being aware that you're sitting. Uh, this awareness is lost on most of us, even though we're probably most of us sitting. So if you're uh, caught up in writing or reading uh, or, or watching, you might forget that you're, you're if you're listening to me, you might forget that you're sitting. But when I say that to you, it reminds you. I say, hey, did you know that you're sitting? And suddenly you're reminded that you're sitting. This is, I think, why the, the Buddha chose this word sati, why it's how he, he described this sort of, not just a state, but an activity, right? because mindfulness is what leads to clarity. And the act of cultivating mindfulness is this process by which you rightfully grasp, or rightly, not rightfully, rightly grasp an object instead of wrongly grasping it. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. But um, abstraction is, it is useful. It's really the only way we can um, understand and, and change our, our view, right? Um, abstraction is, is the basis of language. So for someone else to remind us of something, they need to use this abstract, these concepts, words. Words are all concepts. The word sati doesn't mean anything. It's just a sound, right? But it has meaning conceptually to us. And that allows us to change based on how our mind works. It allows us to conceive of something. We know what sati refers to or what mindfulness refers to. And it, based on our memory, and our recognition and our, our ability to associate, we associate that word with certain mind states, and those are evoked. And the mind states are all real, right? Mindfulness as a reality is real. But the word mindfulness is just a concept. When I say mindfulness, it evokes in you certain real mind states that aren't abstract. And so they're useful. Teaching is useful, me talking, all of this talking, some of you, I think, find it useful. Um, and and it's useful as an abstraction, as, as a, a way of changing the way you look at things and allowing you to see reality in a different way. But it will never be a, a, a replacement. It will never be enough. I could give talks and you could listen to all of my talks and it would never be enough if it wasn't associated with you know, the practice that, that it's trying to evoke, right? The states of mind that it's hopefully trying to evoke in, in, in the listeners. And that's where noting sort of comes in. It's, this, it's sort of a nexus between the two. Noting, the word noting uh, I don't use a lot. Um, I just usually tell people to say to themselves, 
because the word noting is it's analytical, it's sort of dry. To me it has specific connotations that aren't necessarily helpful. It's not a bad word, I just, and so people who use it, I'm not critical of them, but I like to tell people to say to themselves, right, because it's it's more practical. You're not, it's not clinical anymore, just say to yourself, there's no doubt about what I'm telling you to do. Uh, and, and that, to me, relates back to this, what, what's really going on, what this really is, is the use of a mantra. Mantra meditation is very old, I think before the Buddha, and it's very broad and, and widespread and, and well, broadly, widely recognized as an effective meditation tool, because it's the simplest means of creating the, the appropriate mind state, whatever the appropriate mind state is. I mean, it's similar to when we uh, yell at someone. If I yell at someone and say, you hurt me, that's actually a means of, of, of reinforcing the anger, of, of creating confidence and, and, I mean, maybe not consciously, this is, you're not doing it in order to do that, but it has the effect. Words are very powerful. They have the effect of augmenting our emotions, um, often to our detriment, right? If you start thinking to yourself, like you're up on a stage, or if I'm here on YouTube and I look and I say, oh, there's 30... Okay. I don't know what's going to happen there. There will probably be some minutes of just blankness, but I am back, hopefully. I tried to talk, I asked someone about it, they don't know what's going on. Technology. Well, the truth is, we shouldn't be too spoiled. Because um, you think about the, the difficulty you would have uh, finding a teacher. Not to say I'm some great teacher, but any teacher, right? Uh, you would have to go off and you would have to probably buy a plane ticket and then you would have to go off into the jungle and uh, you might have to wait many hours before the teacher comes out of their hut because they only come out to teach at certain times. Uh, so we can consider ourselves spoiled being, uh, being able to hear this at all. So. A few moments, few minutes, having to wait for it to buffer. I'll, I think I know what I can do. I can just crash the YouTube app, and if I reload it, it asks me if I want to reconnect. That seems to work. So as soon as it buffers, I'll just kill the app and start over. I don't know where I was at in the talk. So we were talking about mindfulness. Apologies if I miss something here or repeat something. We're talking about mindfulness and noting, and how noting is sort of the nexus between abstraction and uh, and reality. And right. So I was talking about the mantra. How I talk about I, I use the usually use the language of a mantra because it's really where this comes from. Why why do we use this this word? Well, this isn't very old technique. It's not something new that someone said, hey, why don't we repeat a word to ourselves? It didn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't a new creation. It's not like there was an old way of meditating and suddenly someone thought, 
Boy, let's use words. And, and, and why? Because we're always using words. When you like something, you say, boy, that's great. You have this concept in your mind of, I should get that. We have, we have a, a, it may not even be words, but it's a, it's, it's a conceptualization. You, you see something, you say, that's a, a banana, or that's an apple, or that's a piece of cheesecake. And, and that concept reminds you of what it tastes like to eat a piece of cheesecake. And it creates all sorts of problems, right? Um, and, and mantras often play with that. So you might have a mantra that helps you create certain states of mind, stimulates this. Uh, hopefully you don't use a mantra that stimulates greed or, or anger, but we often use words in those ways. Meditation, good meditation, and this is why mantra or why meditation can be dangerous, because it can evoke, quite conceivably, you could have a meditation that would make you more angry, more greedy, more deluded, more deluded especially, because of course any religious view, religious teaching that has wrong view, um, you know, it often involves teachings and even sayings, mottos, even mantras that uh, that that support delusion. Uh, but a good meditation will be something that, or can be something that evokes good positive emotions. One one that comes to mind, I think, should come to mind to many people is is loving kindness. We use a mantra. We'll say to ourselves, "May I be happy." May all beings be happy. And it's meant to... It, it's not lip service, right? The words themselves are, 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 mean, are useless. They're just words. But they have the potential, especially over time, to, uh, to evoke positive mind states of love, of compassion, of, of, of kindness. Uh, other meditations aren't, aren't designed to create an emotion, but they're designed to... Uh, similarly, cultivate certain mind states. So, uh, kasina meditation is a good example, where where you a kasina is a an object that you use to create a, a, a sense of totality, where your whole universe is one thing, like a color. So you start by focusing on a, 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 a circle of of white, say the color white. And you just repeat, you look at it, and you repeat to yourself, white, white, white. And the mantra helps um, evoke a singularity, let's say, or a, sing, a sense of, of single-pointedness. So white isn't a special mind state, but because it's a simple concept, um, and, and it's very singular, uh, it, it pulls in all of the associated mind states, like like white isn't something that's going to make you angry or greedy or deluded or so on. It's not going to be a, evoke bad things. So it will create, it has the potential to help you create a lot of um, very powerful and pure states of mind eventually so that all you see even when you close your eyes is white. You know? and, and the benefits there are this very strong focus. So with mindfulness, the the intention is to help us bring our minds back to focus not on a concept but on reality right so we're using abstraction to bring the mind back to reality and that's what's special and unique about mindfulness that's why there's a, such a buzz about mindfulness is it different from other types of meditation yes it is unique 
in that sense. Now you might say it's similar and the same in other ways, but in that sense, mindfulness is unique. Because rather than focusing your attention on some other abstraction, or on an abstraction at all, the object of the mantra is real, is, is experiential. The word real is slippery because it means different things to other people, to different people, but experiential, it's a part of experience, which in Buddhism is what's real, like seeing. When you say to yourself, seeing, seeing, it helps bring your mind back to the experience. Oh, the, yes, I'm seeing at this moment. There's this sense and this awareness, this presence, uh, which is also objective, because our ordinary awareness and experience of things is, is steeped in habit. Right? We remember that something brought us pleasure, so we like it. And we conceive of it as positive, as pleasant, or we, we remember, uh, we associate it with uh, a past uh, suffering, and so we dislike it, and so on. Or we have, we associate it with some view, and uh, you know, delusion arises. Like we look in the mirror and we see ourselves, boy, I'm so handsome, or boy, I'm so ugly, right? And we have this conceit arises, or so on, or even just the view of self. This is me, this is mine, this I am, and so on. Uh, and, and so mindfulness, this, or the, this practice that we talk about where you remind yourself of, of the experience, um, has the potential to, to remove all of that. It reminds you, and it, it evokes objective states, right? Instead of saying, this is bad, this is good, this is me, this is mine, you say, this is this. Seeing is seeing, hearing is hearing, thinking is thinking. This is what the Buddha taught, and, and this is what you'll see him teach again and again. And so I wanted to stop here just for a moment to point this out, that we have shelves of the Buddha's teaching. And often what is missed is, is this very basic core teaching that is really the bulk of it. It's the bulk of it, but it's so simple and so ordinary that it gets overlooked often, right? What do we know about Buddhism? What is Buddhism? Well, we have things like the Four Noble Truths because they're, they're very powerful to talk about. We have, um, well, we have mindfulness, but um, we also have lots of stories like the life of the Buddha, examples, and so on. And, and even in Buddhist culture, you'll find this a lot. But it's still rare to have people talk about the six senses, right? Seeing, what is Buddhism? Buddhism is about seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. But it's really the core of it, the five aggregates. What are the five aggregates? They're five things, five aspects of seeing, five aspects of hearing. Uh, and and this is why this is so core is because this is the Buddha taught us to understand and to see reality, and that's what's going to happen when you use mindfulness. So the question, this is this is all just preparatory to help us understand um, this the the, you know, the the context of this question. This person was asking whether you can um, note many things in one word, right? And and I, I think my answer to this is to say. Don't confuse the act of noting with the states of mind that it evokes. Mindfulness is a tool, it's an artificial tool used to bring the mind closer to, to, uh, closer to reality and, and more objective about that reality, about the experience. 
But it is not the objectivity, it is not the awareness. And so, um, don't get too concerned about the details. Right? In a general, I, I want this to be a general message to people that um, mindfulness shouldn't be seen as the states of mind. Mindfulness is the tool that you use, or, or this noting, the mantra, is the tool that we use that evokes certain mindsets. So sure, if you're anxious, and you know that anxiety is, is composed of, of different physical and mental states, you can still just say anxious, anxious. The idea is that it helps you to see uh, your experiences more clearly. Um, but not to see the mantra as some kind of some kind of pill or some kind of um, magical wand that you wave and 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 it it affects reality. It doesn't have to be one to one. You don't have to be mindful of everything. Uh, I mean, I think in terms of anxiety. This is, I think, what the what the person was asking about. Anxiety is a really good example, one I like to talk about, because it, it's one you can often see very quick results in meditation. Uh, when you when you separate the different experiences, so um, on the one hand, the whole experience is anxiety, but on the other hand, some aspects of it are physical, and some aspects of it are, of it are mental. So the butterflies that you feel in your stomach, the heart beating quickly, the tension in your shoulders, all of those can be noted individually. Right? And they help you to come closer to the object. Uh, and, and, and you'll see quite quickly that what I mean by there's a difference between the noting and the mindfulness. Because simply saying to yourself, uh, when you're tense in the shoulders, say, say tense, tense, or you feel bubbling in your stomach or, or there's butterflies in your stomach because you're anxious, you say, feeling, feeling, it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away, but it doesn't lead to more anxiety. And you'll see that it evokes states of, of neutrality, states of objectivity that aren't reactive. Because that's how anxiety works. Anxiety, you start with a thought, there's 50 people now listening to me talk here, and that makes me self-conscious, right? It evokes that thought, evokes certain states in the mind of anxiety, which then creates these feelings in the body. And this is where the terrible part happens, is those feelings in the body make me more anxious. Oh, I'm anxious. And, and, and they, they, um, they bounce back and forth. So the, the states of the physical states lead to more anxiety more anxiety means stronger physical reactions and it becomes a, it snowballs into this sort of feedback loop bigger and bigger and bigger until we can have a panic attack yeah, this is I think I've never had a panic attack but I think this is what people talk about when they talk about a panic attack it, it's just gotten so overwhelming and they have no way of dealing with it right? but you can see that each moment there's a process going on. There's abstraction. You, re you, you, you experience something and then you conceptualize it and you, you react to it. Um, and all of that can be replaced and can be changed if you use a different, um, let's say, a different mantra, right? Because that's kind of a mantra. I'm anxious. Oh no, this is a problem. Right? You change it to just, this is anxiety. Or, or with the physical, this is feeling. Right? 
and this evokes very different states of mind. It has the potential to. It's not magic. It's not in and of itself mindfulness. But if used consistently, properly, and with the right idea of why you're doing it, it can evoke states of, of objectivity, of calm, that counteract the, the build-up of things like anxiety. So the person was asking about um, things like numbers. I don't really want to get into the details of their, their, their other question, but it was the idea of uh, the mind can only take one object. So does that mean the, the number one is the only real number? But why I think that's it's related is, again, this, this, this confusion of the difference between concepts and reality. Abstraction, again, is useful. And the mantra is a useful abstraction that allows us to evoke certain states and direct our attention to the object uh, of our experience, or the object of maybe not even experience. In other meditations, it's a concept, right? So the color white, you just evoke it in your mind, right? Um, but in mindfulness, it's the difference. The only difference is the object, but it's an important difference. It's important because it allows us to see certain things that aren't present in concepts, impermanence, right? our inability to, or our, our, unfam our lack of familiarity with impermanence is what leads us to, to disappointment. Things don't go as expected. We're like, why didn't they go as expected? But for a meditator, it's like, oh yeah, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, and that's okay. I mean, that, that's you become familiar with reality, and the idea, the whole idea of expectation becomes absurd. Because you, you, you can't know, and any kind of expectation that you do have is just going to um, just going to wind you up for potential disappointment. And it doesn't have any benefit to expect things, right? I want things to be this way. <laughs> what does that mean, right? All that means is the cultivation of wanting. It doesn't have any bearing on how things are going to be. And, uh, you know, the knowledge of suffering, that when you try to fix things, you try to control things, you just suffer. And you, you get stressed, and you're met with disappointment, or even you get what you want, and you just want it more, and so on. And uh, non-self. That you can't control the desire to control the looking at things in terms of controlling them, forcing, being in charge. Looking at things as me, as mine, is is what leads to suffering in in the first place. We don't get we don't suffer when someone else loses a possession. We suffer when we lose something. We suffer when we can't control right? because of our attachment to things being me and mine. So I mean, all these things are what we see from, from reality, our, our lack of familiarity with these fundamental aspects of nature leads us to seek out certain experiences. Right? We conceive of experiences as being people, as being things, and those things we conceive of as bringing us pleasure, bringing us pain, and so we react positively and negatively towards them. Um, through meditation that changes. We start to see things just as experiences. Um, we, we, we see more clearly uh, what is the reality of, of things. Uh, that's what's unique about mindfulness. The noting is just a, just a tool.
So it was a hard question to really answer directly. I mean, I could have given a, a, a simple answer, but it, it wouldn't suit the purpose, I don't think. Uh, most important is to understand that mindfulness is a tool, or, or the noting, the mantra is a tool uh, that evokes uh, potentially positive mind states. Not to worry too much about the details of, am I noting everything? Do I have to note this? You don't have to note everything. You don't have to be exact. Um, like Mahasi Sayada talks about this, he, his people are critical of when you say to yourself, sitting, sitting, say, well, you know, sitting isn't real, right? But it's not even the sitting, it's not even conceiving of it as sitting, it's that sitting when you say to yourself, brings you back to the experience. What is the experience? Well, there's pressure on your bottom and tension in the back and in the legs and so on. And all of that is real. And so saying to yourself, sitting, evokes this. Saying sitting isn't saying this is good or this is bad. It's a very objective sort of thing to say. And so even though it's conceptual and sitting itself is conceptual, then the mantra is, is one that helps you relate back to reality. And anyone who's critical of it is, is, should look at what the Buddha himself said. He said, when sitting, know clearly to yourself, sitting, I'm sitting. Nisi no wa nisi no miti pajanati, and so on. So, um, you know, this is theory, and this is me giving a talk on this. Uh, the result and the benefit and, and uh, the, the real real important uh, part is that we all put this into practice. You know, right here and now you can be aware that you're sitting and you can use this mantra as a very useful tool. Don't let the tool, what's the, um, is there an, an adage or an idiom about this? Don't let the tool become the, the work, right? Maybe I just coined it. Don't let the work, don't let the tool become the work. The tool is is what you use. Don't let the tool become the the object. Right? So don't worry too much. Is it working? You know, why isn't it working? Why do I say pain, pain, and the pain doesn't go away, or so on? Why am I not getting what I expected? I expect results. Why am I not getting them? You're not getting good results because of expectation. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, use mindfulness as a tool, this is what we should do. And uh, you'll find that it, this, is what it, this is what it does and this is what it's meant to do. So it's important to understand this. All this talk, you might say, oh, this monk talks a lot. It's all just meant to uh, help you understand. That's what abstraction is for. It's to help you change the way you might look at things or give you a new way of looking at things, a new perspective, new tools. Right? to deal with reality. Uh, teachings that lead to more abstraction are generally not what we're, look, what we're trying to pass on. I'm not trying to make you think more about this or take this home and, and ponder it and debate it or, or you know, uh, question it philosophically. I'm really just trying to say, you know, uh, when you say to yourself, pain, pain, it helps you see the pain more clearly. So you do that. Don't overthink it. So there you go. There's my video. I'm in Florida. I think you can see that. So I'll have some time to do more regular videos. Uh, but but this month I'm traveling, so there will be days and, and even periods where I won't be able to, where the internet might not be good enough. And 
uh, I do plan, you know, as far as one can plan in the future, to do more videos and to keep this up. But uh, anyone with expectations of videos out there, mm, this is something you should be mindful of. Wanting, wanting. If you're annoyed at this monk who doesn't have a regular schedule, well, maybe that's in, in a way a good thing because it helps you see attachments and let go of them.